Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you? If you are first-time guests with us here today, man, we want to say welcome. I want to personally say welcome to you, and uh, we hope hopefully your experience thus far has been a good one. And uh, I want to welcome everyone joining us live at Franklin, live at Vanta, and live online. Can give it up for our online audience and our other campuses. Great to be with you today. Literally, people watching all over the world. I talked to a dad last night. His daughters are watching from Germany right now. We want to welcome all of you watching in Germany. It's amazing uh, that God has allowed us to reach literally across the entire world through the internet and through our online presence. And so, very, very exciting. So, we're starting a brand new series today called Encounters. And this morning when I got up, and I do this about every single morning, I spend about 30 to 40 minutes by myself before everybody else gets up. And I uh, was just in John chapter 10, and some of you who follow me on Twitter, you might have saw me tweet this out. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Then I add a little comment down there. It says, the life that we are all looking for is found in the life that Jesus came to offer us. And I had said, and I was like, oh, it's so good. It's rich a thought. I'm going to share it with people, you know. And that's really my prayer for this series is that every single person who hears the messages in these four-week series would come to find life the way God intended it to be lived, abundant life by having an encounter with Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the living water, the bread of life. And so in this series, basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different encounters that people had. We could, we, it could be a, literally a 50-week series because there's so many encounters. In fact, this entire book is filled with people from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible of, of people that just had these encounters with God. And we're only going get, to get to look at four. And what I love about these encounters is that Every single time a person had an encounter with God, whether it was Moses in the burning bush, remember that if you read the Bible before in, in the book of Exodus, what an incredible encounter with God. Or maybe it was King Solomon who heard the audible voice of God, actually heard God speak to him and give him instructions. How phenomenal would that be? Wouldn't that be great if you wake up and God says, okay, do this and do this, <laughs> got it next. He had that experience. Or maybe like Mary or Peter in the New Testament had this incre incredible encounter with God. Or maybe it was the first disciples, or Zacchaeus, we're going to look at his encounter in this series in Luke chapter 19. Here's what's interesting about every single one of these encounters in your notes, if you're a note taker, is that when people encounter Jesus, they always walk away different. And that's what we're going to look at in this series. We're going to look at these different encounters, and what was the situation, what was the scenario, and what was the change that took place in their life. And here's why I think these stories are in the Bible for us. They're not just there so we can read them and go, oh, isn't that cool? You know, God touched Jacob's hip, and some of you are like, what? Okay, it's just an encounter that he had. He walked away, and he had a limp for the rest of his life. He had this, I don't really want to have that encounter with God. I like the way I'm walking right now, but that's what happened with Jacob. The reason that these these stories are in the Bible is for us to see the changes that God wants to make in each individual's heart and then be open to this idea that, that, that God, maybe you want to make the same change in my heart because Jesus came to change you. He did. He really did. In fact, in John chapter 12, verse 46, this is what, you, this is what we see Jesus saying. I have come into the world as, say it with me, as light. Now, I, don't, I know you guys know this, but Light 
changes things. Light is changing this room right now. If we turn the lights off, we'd all be in darkness. Jesus said, I've come as, as a change agent to come into your life and whoever believes in me will no longer walk in what? Darkness. We did a whole series on this not too long ago. The darkness of what? Darkness of anger. The darkness of frustration. The darkness of, of, of jealousy or gossip or, or lust or hatred. The, gossip, the, the, the darkness of fear, the darkness of worry or anxiety with the darkness of depression. Jesus said, I've come to, to change your lights. What he does, if we have an encounter with him. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're gonna look at four different encounters and I want you to open up your heart and say, God, do you want, do you want to change me in the same way that you changed this person as they encountered you? So this first story, before we get into this first encounter, usually what happens when we change is, not usually, but when we change, the first thing that changes in our life when, when our lives really are transformed is an idea, a concept, um, a paradigm or perspective. And when that perspective in our life changes, then our life changes. And so in this particular story, what Jesus is gonna do, he's gonna take a sledgehammer to a particular idea that prevents people from coming to him, prevents people from living in a vibrant, interactive relationship with him. And this is the idea that Jesus is going to take a sledgehammer to. Church and God are for good people. It's a very common idea. Back in Jesus' day, back in the Old Testament times, and even today, it's a very common idea. As I invite people to church, which I hope you invite folks to church on a regular basis, or hope you invite them into a relationship with God on a regular basis. We're on a relentless pursuit, right, to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. That's the purpose of our church. And as I do that, wherever I'm at in the community, um, here's what I often hear, even today. I'm not a church person. (laughs) See? I had some interactions with church a long time ago, and I just, church and me, God and me, God would never really accept somebody like me. In fact, Danny, if I came to your church, the place might burn down. (laughs) Now, you wouldn't want your church to burn down, but it's like, no, I I don't, but I I don't think that if you come, it will, but this is my perspective. And behind those ideas or those responses to an invitation into a relationship with God or church is this concept that, see, God and church is for good people, and I'm not one of them, okay? So I'm not a church guy. I'm not a church person. And maybe we've picked this up. Maybe maybe people have picked this concept up of God, that, that he hates people who are not good or he's angry with people that are not good or church-going folks. Maybe we picked it up from, from, from a church experience. Maybe when we were younger, we heard a preacher say, look, if you're going to walk with God, you've got to do this and this and this and this. And if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to have a relationship with him, you have to stop doing this and this and this. And you're like, dude, I do all of those things and I don't do all of these things. Church must not be for me. Some of you had that experience, and that's why you have this concept that God and church is not for somebody like me. Maybe you got the concept that that God and church are for good people from from your parents. Oftentimes, parents subconsciously teach their children that they're loved because of their performance. They do well in sports. If they do well in school, they get a lot of praise and a lot of attention, and once they do poorly in their grades or poorly at sports or poorly in some other endeavor they're involved in, the parents withdraw their love and they actually give criticism. And so this, the kids, the, you know, and I'm guilty of this myself, the kids hear a message of my father, my mother 
has conditional love for me. And if they treat me that way, if their love for me is based on my performance in school or sports or whatever, then God is probably, probably functioning the same way. That his love for me is conditional based on my performance and my performance is not very good. He must not want to be in a relationship with me. I don't know where the idea came from for you, church, friends, parents, I don't know. Here's what I do know. This idea, the church and God are for good people, will keep a person away from God for a very long time and perhaps forever. So Jesus knows that. He knows that. So what he wants to do is take a sledgehammer and he wants to crush this idea in your mind, in my mind, in everybody's mind. So with that being said, let's look at this first interaction. It's found in the book of Luke chapter 5. Jesus approaches a guy named Levi. After this, now all this simply means is the verses right above verse 27. So 17 through 26, Jesus heals this guy who comes through a roof. He's, he's a paralytic. It's a fantastic story. You can read it when you get home. Talk about having an interaction. You, you, you get dropped through the roof of a house because the crowd is too big and you walk away healed. Anyway, I didn't pick that story. I picked this story. So, but after that story, the story before it, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. Now, very interesting. It seems like Jesus just went out for a walk. He just went out. <laughs> he haphazardly, you know, kind of saw Matthew on the way, you know, as he was stretching his legs. The context here is that Jesus is recruiting his team. He had just gotten done in a previous chapter, Luke, Luke chapter 4, of recruiting uh, Peter and his brother Andrew. And so he's, he's building his 12, his, his dream team is 12 guys of uh, 12 guys to change the world. And it seems like he's being a little haphazard, but he's not. He is the most intentional being to ever walk the planet. He knows who he wants and he goes right for him. He goes to a guy named Levi who's sitting behind a tax collector's booth. Something about tax collectors, and by the way, isn't it amazing how modern Ikea furniture looks like first century New Testament furniture? Isn't that amazing <laughs> how that works? He, he sees Matthew sitting at this nice tax collector's booth. You know, he's got, his, he's got his piggy bank there. People are giving him money. He's putting it in. The th interesting thing about tax collectors is back then, these guys were absolutely despised. They were hated for a couple of reasons. Number one, they were working for the Roman government, and the Roman government was the enemy. They were oppressive, okay? He was a Jewish man, work, so he's a traitor. He's a renegade, right? So, so everybody hates him even though he's part of the, he's, his nationality is Jewish and his faith is Jewish. So, that's, so he's hated for that, but he's also hated because what he would do is overcharge people because there were very, very little, there were very few regulations when it, came to ta when it came to taxes. People didn't even know what the tax percentages were. And so tax collectors could just say, well, it's 30%. They could kind of make it up, and you had to pay or else you got arrested. There were a couple of Roman guards standing there, perhaps. And, and so he would overcharge people, and he would, put, he would pay the Romans, and then he would pay himself. And everybody knew that they did this, but there was nothing you could do about it. So he was hated. He was despised. In fact, he was so despised, tax collectors were so despised in New Testament times that they were banned from the temple. They were not allowed to go to church. The rabbi said, you guys are the worst of the worst. They were put in the same category as prostitutes, murderers, and robbers. They were filth because they overcharged and pocketed the difference and because they worked for the Roman government. So here's Jesus. He's looking at a terrible human being according to society's standards. And he says something amazing to Levi. He said to him, follow me. 
To which Matthew heard these words and he was probably like, now I'm gonna take some freedom here a little bit, but I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly how it went down. But you could almost you know, see Matthew with his God, church, temple's not for me, I've been kicked out. You, know? you could almost see him going, no, 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 you got the wrong guy here, Jesus. See, I'm, I'm one of the outsiders. I know you're the new rabbi in town. You get that cool teaching about love your neighbors yourself and turn the other cheek and blessed are the so-and-sos and the so-and-sos. But not, see, I'm not, I don't, I don't see. When I was growing up as a, as a young Jewish boy, I failed out of Hebrew school. See, back in those days, every single Jewish boy went to Hebrew school. And it was this intense uh, series of, of levels of education, a lot of memorization involves. At the end, they would have memorized the first five books of the, of the Bible, Genesis all the way to, uh, I think the last one was, uh, yeah, anyway, forgot. <laughs> and it started at the age of five, and it ended at the age of 30. And at the age of 30, they would begin following a rabbi. Well, evidently, at some point during that process, Matthew failed out. Okay? He wasn't good enough. Only the best of the best of the best got to follow a rabbi. Now he's got a rabbi looking him straight in the eye, and he's saying, follow me. Matthew's going, you got the wrong guy. See, I failed out. I, I overcharge people. I steal from people. Like, I'm the scum of the earth. God, temple, rabbis, and me, we don't mix. You with me? You see the mindset there? You see the idea system there? Jesus is freaking him out when he says, follow me. But he pressed in, and you could almost see Jesus looking at him going, Yes, Matthew, Levi. By the way, Levi's name was Matthew also. Just to clarify. <laughs> you can almost see Jesus looking at Levi and saying to him, even you. I understand that your paradigm is God hates sinners. I get that. I understand that, that you've been asked to leave the temple. You're not allowed to. I get it. But yes, even you can follow me. And then something happened. Matthew, he got it. Something clicked. And if you've ever been an outsider before, and I know some of you haven't, but what I mean by an outsider is somebody that society has said, you know, you're not skinny enough, smart enough, you're not cool enough, you're not educated enough, you're not, you know, you don't know the right people, and, you know, maybe you've just been discriminated against because of your gender, race, or, or you know, whatever. But for whatever reason, you've been on the outside by society. If you've ever been on the outside, you know exactly what I'm talking about when someone from the inside suddenly says, hey, you on the outside, you can, you can come in to the inside. Someone had enough love in their heart or grace in their heart to say, I know you've been rejected for all of these years and you've been labeled and you've been pushed out, but now I'm gonna invite you in. Something clicked, Matthew got it, what did he get? Matthew encountered this thing called grace. When the law said that, that Matthew and Levi should pay, that he should go to jail, that he should be incarcerated because he was a lying, conniving, thieving crook, Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, no, 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 follow me. Now, to follow a rabbi in those days, again, it was an incredible honor. It was reserved for the best of the best Hebrew students. 
It was like following a celebrity. Matthew understands that this is an all-in deal. This wasn't a, a follow Jesus like we would follow Jesus today, like, I don't know, come to the temple on Sundays and maybe attend a small group. And that's the extent of your spiritual life. Maybe read the Bible every now and then. This wasn't that type of follow. See, back in those days, to follow the rabbi meant that you packed your bags. See, he had just recruited Simon and, Pete, Simon and his brother Andrew, and they were what? They were, what was their profession? They were fishermen, right? And so when they decided to follow Jesus, they left their fishing poles. Sorry, they didn't have fishing poles. They had nets. They left their nets they left their boats, they left their business, they packed their bags. And so when Jesus approaches Matthew right here, he's got two guys behind him. He's got Peter and he's got Andrew and their bags are packed and, and Matthew can see it. He can see that, okay, if I accept this invitation, I'm leaving my job. I'm packing up everything because that's what it meant to follow the rabbi. You didn't just follow his teachings. You actually went where he went. You slept where he went, slept. You, were, you had proximity to the rabbi. You ate what he ate. You were in every meeting that he had. You went everywhere. You followed him. This was an all-in deal. Watch what happens. Matthew immediately <laughs> left everything and rose and followed Jesus. How could he do that? How could he just leave his job and his profession, his connections? One word, grace. The one who was outside was invited inside. And he left everything. The message that Jesus was trying to get through to Matthew and to you and to me is that God loves sinners. He loves them. He's not waiting around to punish them. He doesn't have fire bolts waiting in heaven to, to send down to earth to burn up sinners. He's like, no, I love them. You are on the outside. You're invited on the inside to follow me. Now, we don't follow Jesus this way today. We don't leave our jobs. Some of you might be thinking, are you asking me to leave my job? Like, what are you doing? No, Jesus isn't physically here anymore. We don't follow the rabbi the way that they did back then. We follow him in a different way. We leave behind everything in a different way. Grace comes into our life and, 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 and we, we follow Christ, but how do we do it if we don't leave our jobs? Paul says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And this grace does something. This grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see it? Did you see the difference? We don't pack our bags and say, Jesus, you know, where are we going today? We don't do that. We, we say, Jesus, in light of, of your grace, I'm gonna walk away, I'm gonna leave behind all of the worldly passions. I'm gonna leave behind lust and pornography and anger and covetousness and greed and pride. I'm gonna leave behind all of the nonsense of this world and the pursuit of money and the pursuit of power and the pursuit of good looks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave behind everything of this world and I'm gonna follow you. See the difference in how we follow Jesus today versus how they followed Jesus back then? And I'm not saying back then they didn't leave behind that stuff either. You say, well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you follow? 
How do you follow that? How does grace train us? So here's what, here's what I'm trying to say today. A true encounter with grace in your notes transforms our life. A true, like, the way that we, that we leave behind worldly passions and the way that we pursue a godly life is by encountering grace. I remember years ago when I was a student at Liberty University and I, I had, had truly had an encounter with grace and Jesus had changed my life. But I was still struggling with worldly passions and I had lived for so long a, a life that was away from God and I had patterns and habits of ways of dealing with people and the opposite sex that just were not godly and I truly wanted it to change. And I was like, well, how does it, how do I change? I mean, I know I'm gonna go to heaven when I die because I believe Christ died on the cross for my sins, but how do I actually become a different person and leave behind these worldly passions? And Jesus communicated to me, not through an audible voice, but through different passages of scripture like Titus chapter two and others, this idea that Christ died on the cross for my sins. He paid for every single wrong thing I've ever done. Shouldn't I therefore live for him? Like how can I continue to sin when he died for that sin? It's like slapping him in the face. Jesus communicated to me, and he's trying to communicate to you today that grace is this, is, is this can be captured in this statement right here. It's free, but it's not cheap. It costs me my life. See, anybody can have grace, but it was very costly to Jesus. He was nailed to a cross. He was beaten. He was crucified so that you can have that forgiveness free of charge. It's free, but it's not cheap. And when you truly understand the cost of grace, you begin to walk down a new path. You don't become sinless. I'm not talking about perfection. Please hear my heart. But I am talking about sinless, sinning less. I heard somebody say, say it this way. You cannot be sinless, but you can certainly sin less. You understand what I'm talking about? How? In light of grace that he's called me from the outside to the inside. I'll never forget the day when he called me inside. I was a manipulator, a deceiver. I was disobedient to my mom, my father. I treated the opposite sex in a terrible, disrespectful way. I was obnoxious and prideful and self-centered and I had, I had every sin going for me <laughs> at the age of 15, 16, 17 years old. And I remember Jesus nudging me and saying, yeah, follow me. I had the same feelings that Levi had, and which is probably why I relate to this story so much. I thought, you know, you understand, not me. I'm, I'm like a complete idiot. Like, you know, I, there's nothing good inside of me. I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I have, there's duplicity in my life. There's lying. There's stealing. There's, like, you don't want anything to do with me. And I remember Jesus looking at me and saying, I know, even you come. And I was overwhelmed by grace. It transformed my life. I didn't become a completely different person at that moment, but it set my life on a different direction. Some of you know what I'm talking about. A totally different path. That's what grace does. A true encounter with grace transforms your life. And then it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Unfortunately, some of you have let this deal stop right there with you. And I knew I couldn't do that. I was so excited. It didn't stop there with Levi either. Watch what Levi does. 
Verse 29, Levi decided he was going to make a great feast at his house. And then guess who showed up? All of his buddies. <laughs> a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. Like Matthew knew he had a whole bunch of friends who had the same paradigm that he had. That the church and God and the temple is not for me. Like the rabbis told me not to come back. Like he had a whole group of friends like that. So he decided to throw a party. Jesus was the, was the honored guest. Why did he throw this party? He wanted to honor Jesus. He wanted to declare his new allegiance. But most importantly in your notes there, he wanted his friends to encounter grace as well. He had tasted sweet grace. He had drunk from the well of living water. And he's like, you guys, you guys, you've got to meet this guy. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the temple, God, the whole religious thing, it's not for you. But this, I just met a rabbi who teaches something completely different. He took that idea and he smashed it with a sledgehammer and he called me who was on the outside and the inside and you've got to meet him. Isn't this what we do with things that we love? We tell people about it, isn't it? You watch a movie, anybody seen the newest Infinity Wars? You see, no, anybody? Anybody not see it? Can I spoil it for you? Can I tell you about, oh. <laughs> Here's the thing, I won't do it, but I want to because I was so excited about it. I was like, man, that's incredible. I didn't see that coming, blah, 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 whatever. I want to tell people. That's why people spoil movies because they are so excited about it. And they're obnoxious. <laughs> but I won't be this morning. But we tell people about the new movie or the new, the new product. I had friends a couple of months ago in January, they started talking to me about this new product. It looks like floss, but it's not. And they're like, Danny, have you heard about these new wireless headphones? I'm like, no. And because I always wear my headphones when I'm working out or when I'm doing this or around the house and, you know, I'm, and the wires, they just frustrate me. Anybody else? The wires, you catch them and they pull you on your ears and unplug. I mean, it's just, oh, it's so frustrating. So wireless headphones, it's incredible. I know it's a new, new idea. And so I pull these things out and my friend says, look, here's the deal. You just put them in your ears like this. And, and this thing is actually a charger. Charges them for 30 hours and just a little pack, you know, nice little package there. And, and, and there's no wires. What? Completely wireless. You can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and I'm looking at them. And, and then when you take one out, it actually presses pause, whatever you're listening to. It's phenomenal. And I'm like, month. And I think, but they're so expensive. So I started saving my Dave Ramsey money. Anybody have some Dave Ramsey money, some blow money? Anybody out there? You know, the envelope system. Yeah, I started saving. This is back in January right? I started saving up, saving up, saving up. And I went and got a pair and they have changed my life. <laughs> How? Why? Why did I buy these? Why did I buy them? I'm telling you, I bought them because there was somebody else who was like, you got to get these. This is what they do. And this is how they're better and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's what Matthew does. Matthew's like, you, you, you guys, you've got to meet this guy. He, he changed my life. He invited me in when I was on the outside. We don't know exactly what happened or if the whole crew put their lives or trust in Christ. We don't know. It doesn't tell us, but they had an encounter with grace. Now, what's crazy about all this is that some of you have let grace stop with you. The last time you invited somebody to church was you don't remember. Hello. I said, man, you're, that's mean. Yeah, a little bit. You come every week, you don't invite anybody. You don't have anybody with you today, you won't have anybody with you next week because you've let grace stop with you. 
Don't do it. This story is bigger than you. Yes, Christ died for you, absolutely. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he called you in, but there's a world out there dying. Have you noticed? And the life that they're looking for, John 10, 10, the life that they're looking for is in Christ. They need an encounter with grace and God wants to use you to do it. So Matthew throws a party for his friends. How about you? Let me close, let me, let me, let me wrap this up with one more thought. There's a group of people in this story and there's a group of people here today. There's always a little group of people, about 10%, maybe 5% of the crowd that just doesn't get it. This whole idea of grace, is, it's, it's, it's scandalous. The whole idea of people getting off the hook, the whole idea of Matthew not having to go through the, the educational system in order to follow the rabbi, the whole idea that he was a terrible, horrible sinner and now all of a sudden he gets to follow Jesus. No, I don't think so. I should follow Jesus. I'm the one that went through all the school. I'm the one that goes to temple every day. I'm the one, blah, 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 blah. There's a group of people that despise grace. And there's a group of people here today and there's a group watching today. You don't like this story about Matthew. It ticks you off. You want Matthew to pay for his sin. Listen, this is, listen to what they say. Right here, verse 30, next verse. And the Pharisees and the scribes, this is the group, the professional Christians, the paid clergy, <laughs> they grumbled at his disciples. And this is what they said. Why do you eat with, and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Like, don't you understand that these people don't deserve God? They, they, they're sinful people. They, don't, they shouldn't even eat with them. See, back in those days, to eat with somebody was to extend friendship. It was to say, I'm good with you. Like, you can be, we can be together. It was, it, the idea was community. That's what a meal stood for. So Jesus is breaking all types of social rules and norms. And Why did they say this? Why did they rejoice that Matthew got invited in? That even a tax collector could follow Jesus. Why not get excited about that? Here's why. It's because their idea. And some of you still have this idea. Wait a second. God is for the good people. Bad people out. In fact, there's a group of you here today. You're ticked off because you know some people in the church are bad. You want them gone. <laughs> so how do you know that? Because I get emails from you. I'm going to tell on you. Do you let these people in the church? Don't you know? Know all about it. Everybody's included. It's an all skate. Everybody's invited into the inner circle. Nobody's excluded. See that? But there's a group of you right now. You're ticked off. You want to get up. But you won't get up because then we'll know who you are. <laughs> You're a Pharisee. Here's all I have to say to you today. Watch this. Don't be a Pharisee. I mean, it's just real simple. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, don't do it. <laughs> Jesus tries. Je and here's the real change that needs to take place in, in, your, in your mind. You have to think differently about God. Listen, watch, watch what Jesus, he tries. He doesn't tell them to, to, to get out of here or anything. He, do, he tries to change their thinking. He says, guys, come on. The reason I'm eating with these fellas is because... It's those who, those who are well, they don't need a doctor. It, it's those who are sick. Like, here's the deal. I've not come to, 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 to be with healthy people. I've come to be with the sick and the broken and the sinful and the Matthews and the outsiders and those who know that they are sinful. That's why I came. Come on. Now, of course, did they get it? No. Did they go, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for clearing that up. Go for it. No, they didn't. They kept wanting to kill him and persecute him and stop him. 
Because this group of people, and you know, you know who you are, this group of people, you're, the, the, you're, the mindset you have, it's so ingrained, it, it's impenetrable. Grace is too scandalous for you. And all I can say to you is, don't do it. Don't be that person. Jesus had his harshest words for the Pharisees, not the, the real sinful people in our communities that, that we, at least we think. He had the harshest words for those who thought they were righteous. Don't, don't do it. Sometimes we have to unlearn things about God in order to make progress in the spiritual life. Let me say that again because it's, it's, it's very, very important. Sometimes in order to make progress in the spiritual life, we have to unlearn the ideas that someone has put in our mind about God. And here's how we do it. We look at Jesus because when we look at Jesus, we see God. One time Jesus said to his disciples, I and the Father, we're one. I say what he wants me to say, I do what he wants me to do. You wanna know what the Father's like? Look at me. The Father loves sinners. That's why I'm here. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, two things, three things. Number one, don't be a Pharisee. Number two, if you're struggling right now, keep your head up. You say, man, I've had a true encounter with grace. I'm still struggling with pornography. I'm still struggling with anger. I'm still frustrated. I'm still this. I still mistreat people. I'm still angry, whatever. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't give up. It was a great day for me when I read this passage from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He said, very often what God first helps us towards is not the virtue itself, purity or courage or whatever, being honest, but just the power of always trying again. And folks, that is grace. I, made, I remember when I was a young man and probably 20, 21 years old, I didn't have the virtue of purity, I didn't have the virtue of honesty, but I wanted them and I kept getting back up every single time I sinned. And over time, because of grace, what happens is that virtue, that character trait begins to be developed in your heart. Nobody gets to perfection, but we certainly grow as people. How do you do that? You do that through grace. And then thirdly, and then thirdly, invite others into the story. Like, what are you waiting for? Once you taste this grace, do what Matthew did. Mother's Day is next weekend. It's, other than Easter and Christmas, it's one of the biggest weekends that we have. Why? Because moms will come to church if you guilt them into it. <laughs> they just will. Don't use guilt. Don't use guilt. But... <laughs> Use an invitation card instead. How about that? We brought these invitation cards for you. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. So say, hey, come on over to church next week. We've got a great, great series called Encounters for you. Those are the three things if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian today, oh, this is for you. Ready? You who are on the outside, Levi, thinking that God is, wants nothing to do with you, the church would burn down if I came to it. You know, God hates sinners. You who are on the outside, follow me. <laughs> You're not too far gone. Jesus will say to you today, there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less. I came to this earth to die for your sins and rise again so that you can receive grace upon grace upon grace, forgiveness and mercy. Follow me. And so you need to make a choice today to trust in Christ. 
place your faith in him. It's a simple decision. So Jesus, I'm taking my life and I'm putting it in your hands. I receive your grace today. I believe you died on the cross for me, you rose again. Come into my life, wash me, cleanse me. Make me your child. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own. Say, Jesus, I love you. Today, I choose to trust you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place, for rising again, to wash away all my sin, all my guilt, all the wrongs I've ever done. I choose today to follow you, to receive grace. Teach me to honor you. Teach me to obey you. Teach me to get back up every time I fail from this day forward. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, church, can we give God praise today for what he's doing in our midst? Come on, guys. Raise it up high. All of our campuses. Come on, Franklin. Come on, Banta. Come on, Greenwood. Raise it high. Amen. Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The life that you are looking for, the life that I am looking for is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, today we, what we wanna do is if you, if you prayed that simple prayer, we wanna put a Bible in your hands, a free Bible in the back of the auditoriums. You can pick this up if you prayed to receive Christ today. If you prayed to receive Christ online, there's a little box there that says, hey, I, I accepted Christ. Put your address there. We'll mail one of these to you uh, through the mail. It's, a, it's very, very important that you start reading the scriptures, that you take God's word into your heart and into your mind. He begins to change you and transform you as you learn about what he's like, as you learn about what you're like. He, he begins to change your life. One more time, guys, can we give God praise? Come on, raise it high. Here's what I'd like to do. At this time, the proper response to this sort of grace, this sort of love is to worship. There's a great song called Behold that's come out recently. Our team's gonna lead us in this song. I want you to sing to God. I want you to praise God in light of the grace and the love that you have received from him. Would you, would you stand with me and sing? Say 
salvation is in His blood. Jesus, Messiah, the righteous died for love. But it wasn't over for He. Your work in me. 
Behold. 